Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Joy is that thing that is deep-seated within your heart that nothing can touch. Not even the enemy, not your worst of circumstances. That is a precious thing that Jesus himself has given to you that nothing can touch. Joy is what sustains us through the difficult times. Joy is what helps us to continue to go. When your world does come crashing in and all the happies are gone, you can look to Christ and say, I'm not happy. But man, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When life is good, it's easy to feel pretty self-reliant. But what about in hard times? Often it's then that we recognize our need for God. Pastor James reminds us today that life doesn't always go our way, but God's not surprised by that. Instead of waiting to turn to Him in your moments of great despair, recognize your daily need for Him and come to Him before the storm hits. God promised to never leave or forsake you, and He'll be there to walk you through all of the hard stuff. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Esther chapter 5 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Chapter 5 is where we're at. Let me give you some context just to bring you up to speed here. The decree to kill the Jews has gone out. Haman hates Mordecai. He hates this guy. He hates him because he's a Jew. He hates him because he doesn't revere him. He doesn't respect him. He will not bow down to him. Haman is an Agagite, which we, we trace his lineage all the way back to the king of, of Agag and with King Saul, and King Saul not dealing with the Amalekites like he should have dealt with, and should have just wiped them all out, but he didn't. And when you don't deal with sin, guess what? It's going to pop back up in your life. But here's a classic example. Esther is a classic example of if we don't deal with sin, you know, if we don't deal with the flesh, then man, it comes back to bite us. And that's where you get a, a Haman. So you got Haman, he, he convinces uh, King Xerxes to issue this decree, this law, to at, at this certain day, they rolled dice, and it, and it came out to be on this specific day that they were going to obliterate. They're going to take out all the Jews. Word gets to Mordecai, Mordecai goes to Esther, and he's pleading with Esther of like, you've got to go before the king, you have to say something. And she's like, I can't because he, I haven't even seen my husband in a month. But Xerxes and Esther, not, how not to be married. Um, that's, this, he, she hadn't seen him in a month. And, and you can't just go in front of the king without being, you know, beckoned, all right, or summoned. But Mordecai's like, look, it's either you or it's somebody else. But don't think you're going to escape. Because if you don't step up and do it, you're going to die. Your household's going to die, which meant him as well. He says, maybe God has placed you where he's placed you for such a time as this. Like you are where you are right now because God has specifically chosen you to exist in, the, in that time frame and he has allowed you to be promoted or whatever to be placed in this position for such a time as this. And I can encourage you, hopefully I can encourage you with this, you exist for a reason, you exist for a purpose. You're not just some cosmic accident, right? You're not just some, you know, they're, they're by chance you just happen to be here. That's not how it works. Not when you have a God who's sovereign, a God who's in control. And how, how much of my time that's been given to me by God, 
have I squandered, have I wasted by not realizing I exist for a reason? Ultimately, that's to glorify him. But I find tremendous amount of comfort and encouragement in knowing that I'm alive because God wants me to be alive, because he has a reason for me to be alive. What's that reason? What's my moment? Esther, this is her moment. And Mordecai, it took a Mordecai um, who basically raised her to, to just encourage her, this is your moment. This is it. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And she's like, if I must die, then I must die. I'll go talk to him. I love that. Coolest lady ever, Esther. It's awesome. Tremendous, tremendous woman. So that's where we get to chapter five. It says, on the third day of the fast, okay, so Esther's been fasting. Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. I'm reading from New Lewin translation, by the way. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. So this is like the tension, right? She, the fast is done, three-day fast. Now she's going she's gonna to be brave. She's going to be bold. She's going to do what she's not supposed to do and approach her husband, the king, okay? All right, so she's at the door. She's at the entrance. Verse 2, when uh, he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her, okay, right, good, that, that's a good sign, and held out the golden scepter for her uh, or to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter because that's what you got to do, right? It's kind of like, how, that's how it works in my house. I'm in my living room. I'm like, no, don't, no. Okay, you can come in. No, I don't. I never do that. Um, kids have free reign, uh, almost too much free reign in, that, in our house. But uh, this, this is how it works with the king. You, even, his, even his brides couldn't just approach him, okay? They had to be welcomed in. It says, then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Wow. You're like, yeah, cash in on that Esther, right? No, he's just, it's just a saying. It's just a saying. Uh, we see this in the New Testament as well with Herod, right? He's like, what do you want? Like, I'll give you half the kingdom, okay? Lots of kings and rulers would use this, okay? They didn't ever really mean it, okay? They didn't ever really mean it. But he's going to repeat it a couple of times in this chapter. Esther replies, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. The king turned to his attendants and said, tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. So she's arranged this nice little dinner party for them. Just those two guys. While they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, now tell me what you really want. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. I love you so much, is kind of what he's saying. And it's like, well, you haven't seen her in a month either, right? So like, it's like posting how much you love somebody on Facebook. You know, it's like, well, okay, how about you just live it, right? <laughs> like, how about you just see your wife? Um, but okay, whatever. So he's trying to figure out, what does she want? She wants something. My, my bride, she wants something. And Esther is like, it seems as though she's like trying to build up the courage. And maybe it's the Lord kind of working in her as well. Of like, uh, you know, maybe because she doesn't come right out and say it. But you can see in verse, in verse 7, she replies, this is my request and deepest wish if I have found favor with the king. And if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet and I, I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. See, this is where I think the Lord is working in and through Esther, okay? Because something needed to happen, right? That Esther has no clue about, 
right? So if you know the story, you know that Haman has to, has to establish the execution device. That hasn't happened yet. See, Haman has to go be pushed to his limit. That hasn't happened yet. So Esther right here and there could have said, she could have easily said, hey, um, Haman is trying to kill me and my people, right? And the king would have been furious and, and Haman would have met his demise. However, the Lord's doing something crazy in this story where it's like, was Esther, was she having a moment of like, she just, she couldn't say it. And she's like trying to buy herself more time to get the courage up. That could be true. That absolutely could be true. Or could have been the Lord maybe whispering to her, like, ask for another dinner party. Ask for another dinner party. I don't know. The text doesn't really say that to us. It doesn't tell us that. I just know that she's there and he's like, what do you want, Esther? Anything. You name it, you got it. She's like, "Mm, maybe another dinner party. I don't know why, but I feel like maybe I should throw another dinner party. But that's what she requests. Which you, you got to understand for the king and for, for Haman, they're like, sweet, this lady's honoring us. Like, she's, she thinks we're just the best thing ever in the Persian Empire because she wants to throw us exclusively a dinner party. Nobody else is invited. And we know that that's what Haman thinks because the text tells us that. He goes away like singing and dancing because Esther thinks I'm the best thing ever. She loves me, right? It says, verse 9, Haman was happy. He was a happy man. He's a happy man as he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. The happiness left him. And isn't, that's, isn't that what happiness does? You can't rely on happiness. I like happy feelings. I like, I like to be happy. I prefer to be happy opposed to sad or mad. Um, If I had a choice, I think I'd pick happy. But happy is very circumstantial. If things are going good, you're happy. If things are going bad, you're not happy. If somebody disrespects you, you're not happy, okay? I don't care who you are. Maybe you're a super saint. Maybe you're holier than me, which you would be, I guess. But I'm not happy when somebody disrespects me or somebody disappoints me. Happy is very um, limited to circumstances. That's why joy, which is what Jesus offers to us, is not circumstantial. You can be having a rough day and be full of joy, right? You don't have to carry around that happy, slappy face, you know, just smiling like, I'll just pretend everything's okay. That's not what joy is. Joy is that thing that is deep-seated within your heart that nothing can touch. Not even the enemy, not your worst of circumstances. That is a precious thing that Jesus himself has given to you that nothing can touch. Joy is what sustains us through the difficult times. Joy is what helps us to continue to go when your world does come crashing in and all the happies are gone. You can look to Christ and say, I'm not happy. (laughs) But man, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. David knew that as he was writing all those Psalms. The Apostle Paul knew that. Peter knew that. I mean, these guys who went through the most difficult and challenging of times, knew they, they had the secret, and it was the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Haman's got no joy. He has no joy at all. All he had was temporal happiness. I had a feast. It was amazing. And then that guy showed up. <laughs> and then I had to walk by that guy. 
And that guy never respects me. That guy doesn't even acknowledge me in the position and the power that I have, which clearly is an indicator of like, you're not a leader. You're not a leader, Haman. I don't care what title you have. Titles don't make people leaders. Titles will never make anybody a leader. I don't care. I don't care what the title is. What makes you a leader is if people are following you, if people respect you. That's what makes a leader. You don't even have to have a big following. You can be a leader and you can have one person who's like, who follows you, so to speak. Haman, he's got the title. He, he has the office and everybody else cowers to him except for Mordecai. Mordecai has no respect for this guy at all because he knows who he is. And he, he understands what's, what's behind the person. Okay, what's behind the person, the character is what, is what matters most. And Haman has no character at all. And, and Mordecai knows that. Verse 10, it says, however, uh, Haman restrained himself and went home. Okay, so then he gathers his friends and, uh, and Zeresh, his wife, and boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. And he bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. This is just like a celebration of Haman, right? He just, he, he had this special invite to this party. And now he wants to communicate to his friends and his wife of just how amazing he is. And aren't you so happy that you know me, right? You are connected to me. That you're blessed. You are so blessed. I, I envy you because you get to hang out with me, right? Like that's his like notion. And those kind of people make you sick, right? You're like, ugh. Can, can, Lord, is it okay to punch some people in the face? Probably not. Okay. Never. All right. That's fine. Um, hey, don't worry about it. Um, those who are consumed with pride will meet their device. They'll, they'll meet their end. You know, pride and haughty looks bring about destruction and ruin. Okay. This puffed up arrogance that he has would soon be deflated. Okay. That big old head he had, Haman's head, big head, right? Uh, it, it's soon, all the air is going to be released out of this thing, okay? So he's bragging, and he has to do this because he's so insecure. And this is what insecure people do. They try to magnify themselves. They try to brag and boast, and they want to impress you with how cool and awesome they are. Why? Because they're so insecure. They're so insecure. And you know that's true, because you, you know people like that. I've been a person like that at times. Because I've, I've dealt with insecurity. I, trust me, I'm, I went through junior high and high school. I know what insecurity is, okay? But you, and you have this thing where it's like, I got to brag about myself. I got to maybe exaggerate on certain facts and stuff like that. It's like guys catching fish, right? You're like, yeah, it's, it was never this big. It's always this big. We get it, right? Unless you're rusty and cookie. And their fish are always this big. Um, I don't know if you follow them on social media, but you should. Um, but... We have to like exaggerate so it makes us feel important because I have to be important. And that's what Haman's thinking. I, I have to. I have this title, but I don't have the respect. Well, I'll go to my house because I'll get the respect from them. Verse 12, it says he added, Haman added that he says, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me, well, and the king, right? Himself to the banquet she prepared for us. And as she invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow, then he added, but this is all worth nothing. 
None of this matters as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting, just sitting there at the palace gate. He's like, I don't, I have all this stuff. I got all the, I got wealth. I have prestige. I have honor, so to speak. I got the position. I have all that stuff. But none of that matters to me because of this one little Jewish man. Really, technically, he was a little Jewish man, okay? Mordecai, that's what it means, right? He's like, and, and if we were around him, we'd be like, dude, just who cares? Who cares? But he can't. He cannot move past this. So his wife, lovely lady, Zeresh, and all his friends suggest, set up. I'm not sure what yours say. Uh, the, a lot of uh, translations suggest that like, there's like this, like Haman would, would be hanged. That's not true. That's a poor interpretation uh, or translation of that. What, what he's going to do, that's kind of why I like the New Living Translation on some of these stories. Because they say, hey, why don't you set up this sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall? Right. Well, because what are they going to do? They're going to put his body on that pole. Okay. They're going to shish kebab this guy. Okay. That's what they're going to do. That was a common method of killing back then, a punishment. They're going to impale him. But this gigantic, why does it have to be 75 feet tall? Why does it have to be that tall? Oh, so everybody can see my enemy hanging on that piece of wood. He's, he's, he's got this, this, this vision within his head of like, and then this is coming from his wife and his friends of like, make it the biggest one ever. You'll show them and you'll show all those Jews. This is what happens if you disrespect Haman. Make it 75 feet tall. And in the morning, ask the king to impel Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. After you've killed a guy, you can have your fun. And says, this pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole set up. So that night, they build this thing. He gets some servants, and they, they establish this pole to impale Mordecai on. And that's why we got to go into chapter 6. It says, that night, oh, amazing how God works, right? Amazing. I mean, coincidence is just incredible, isn't it? if that actually exists, if there is a such thing as coincidence. But it just so happens that that night, verse 1, the king had trouble sleeping. Of all nights, this night, he has a hard time going to sleep. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of history, which some of you were like, I slept all through history in school. Um, That may be true. I didn't. I love history, but whatever. Um, He has a guy, he's like, bring in the records that are all about me. So this attendant brings it in, the history of his reign, so it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of uh, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to, to assassinate King Xerxes. So you're telling me, of all nights to have a sleepless night, it's this night. And of all pages to open up to, because there were probably more than one book, there was probably more than one book. And at this point in time, he'd been ruling for several years. And I'm sure if he's like any other king, everything was history, right? Write that down. Write that down. Write that down. Well, you just, you just got a coffee. Write it down. I need people to know how amazing I am and how awesome I am at getting coffee, right? Like these guys were so like self-promoting and like they would record everything. But even if it was just one book, you're telling me that out of all those books, he just happens to end up on that one story of how Mordecai saved his life. Years had gone by, and years of his rule had gone by. 
And this guy just so happens to open up to that chapter, so to speak. Interesting how God works. See, he may not be mentioned in this book at all, but he's in this book. You may not feel him in your life or see him in your life, but his fingerprints are all over your life, all over it. So he opened it up, he's reading, he gets to this point, and then the king, King Xerxes says, what reward of recognition did we give to Mordecai for this? The king asked. His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. He didn't get anything. Well, isn't that fascinating that he saved the king's life and didn't get rewarded for it at that time, which if he had gotten rewarded for it at that time, this would be a non-issue. So what happens next wouldn't happen next. And isn't that encouraging for you and for me when we serve the Lord and you do something and the Lord doesn't do anything for you at that time? Because maybe he's saving it for down the road. I don't know. He sees the big picture. So nothing had been done for him. King hears somebody coming into the court, sun's rising or whatever. He says, who's that in the outer court? The king inquired. As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impel Mordecai on a pole, pole that he had prepared. Like, he didn't even wait. He's like, pulls up, sun's almost rising. I'm going to get to the king because I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do this now. And so he just so happens to show up at the king's palace at this time. You can't make this stuff up. And this is a historical story. This is not something that you can't fight against this. This not only is documented within the Bible, which is absolutely trustworthy, absolutely trustworthy. But this story is documented in Persian culture as well. It's in their history books. So you need extra biblical sources? Well, you can find them about this story. And you see that, holy cow, man, the Lord knows what he's doing. Because Haman just shows up and he's all happy, right? His happiness has come back because he thinks he's going to kill Mordecai. So he shows up, goes to the king, the king uh, replied, or the, the attendants replied to the king, Haman is, is out in the court. And the king says, bring him in. So Haman came in and the king said, what should I do to honor a man? Love that he does not include Mordecai's name. A man who truly pleases me, right? And so here's big head Haman, right? All he can think about is himself. So naturally he's going to think, well, this guy is, he's talking in code about me. This is cute. Okay. Well, what do I want, right? That's, this is where he goes next. Haman thought to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me, right? So he replies, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with the royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to uh, one of the king's most noble officials, and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the official shout out as they go. This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Two things. What Haman wants the most is to be the king. He wants to look like the king. He wants to ride the king's horse. He wants to be the king. Make no mistake about it. Second thing, he's setting this up so that Mordecai would have to be the guy who leads him around town, shouting out, this is what happens when the king honors somebody. Hopeless, hopeless, 
Our God is the God of the unexpected. He takes impossible situations and flips them on their heads to make a way for His people. The book of Esther is a sparkling example of how God moves in unexpected and miraculous ways. Like Haman, who made a gallows for Mordecai but ended up hanging on them himself. Things looked pretty bleak for the Jews of Esther's time, right up until everything changed. When you look at all of the impossible things in your life, remember that there's a God who is greater than every situation that you've ever faced or ever will face. And after He's flipped your impossible situation on its head, it'll be your turn to celebrate and remember the greatness of our God. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. This is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. If you're around, we would love to see you Sunday morning at 10 or Wednesday evenings at 7. Our services are pretty laid back, so come just as you are. And if you can't make it, you can always head over to Facebook and find our live stream. If you're looking to donate to a worthy cause, consider Bread for the Broken, where we help people find hope and new life in Jesus. You can find donation information as well as messages and more on our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Well, we're out of time. We hope you found new hope in today's message. We loved being a part of your day, and we'll see you right here again next time on Bread for the Broken.